This is me and my friends that we graduated together. Um, there were uh, actually 15 of us and seven of us finished at the early deadline and several more to graduate uh, in the coming months. Um, it was such a neat group of friends. I have trouble describing to people. I have friends at seminary we lived with for three years. And yet here's friends that we've mainly talked online and just gotten together a couple of times, but we, we became this really unique, tight-knit group and uh, found myself laughing a lot with this group. We could, we could tease each other. We could share secrets, talk about what we're going through in our lives and our ministry. Um, it was a great time to celebrate that in Portland. But one of the things we were reflecting on a lot as we were, we were kind of scoping out Portland is what, what made this, these friendships work and what made these friendships so special? Uh, why are friendships so important and why do we seem to have so much trouble as people finding good, deep Christian friendships? And so today I want to preach about that. It's been messing with me all week. It's been part of just my own study. And so today I want to talk about a theology of friendship. All theology, I think, should start with God, and so that's where we're going to start, too. We go back to the beginning uh, in Genesis, and I'm going to be all over the text, so you may not want to try to flip with me. You may just want to kind of take notes of where I am and look stuff up later. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. If you go back and read Genesis, you find that God refers to himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image. Our understanding of friendship has to be, begin with our understanding of the Trinity, which is a great mystery that somehow we worship one God that is three persons. Three persons, one God. You understand that? God is a community. God is himself a community, and he makes human beings in his image. That means that we're image bearers of God, not that you are a carbon copy of God, but you reflect the image of your creator. Sort of like my kids look like me, you and I have traits that look like God. And yet, what does the text say? In the image of God, he created him. See, we're all made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. See, there's a certain amount of the image of God that you bear, but there's also a certain amount of the image of God that you can only bear with other people. Okay? There's a part of God that only makes sense in community. We are made in the image, not just of God, but of a triune God. And so we need community. We need other people to really reflect that image. The case, I think, is even stronger in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, I'm starting in. Then the Lord made man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Let me skip to verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 20, Adam is naming all the animals and it says, but for Adam, there was not a found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused him, a, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a place with flesh. Um, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man because she was taken out of man. Adam is made by God, specifically by God's hand. Unlike all the rest of creation, which is made by the voice of God, Adam is the one entity made by the hand of God. And um, it's interesting that he's made not out of nothing, but out of the land. At my graduation, the charge was given by a Native American theologian named Terry LeBlanc. And uh, Dr. LeBlanc made the point that we're made from the land. That we are part of the world that we live in. That, that the idea that we're separate from this world and we're leaving this world someday doesn't make sense because in the Bible we're part of this world. And more than that, we're part of each other. When Adam needs a helper, a completer, a fulfiller for himself, God doesn't just make that out of nothing. He doesn't even make that out of the ground. He makes woman out of the rib. We are part of this world, and listen, we are part of each other. We complete each other. We fit each other. We don't make sense as individuals. How could you not care for this world? How could you not care for others in need? They're an extension of you. You're part of them, and they're part of you. The problem comes with this thing called the fall, right? We sin. We fall short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve don't live up to God's image for us. Genesis 3 says it this way. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, when we fall in our relationship with God, all our other relationships are messed up. We're suddenly aware of and focused on our flaws and what we need to hide from other people. So just like Adam and Eve, we hide. We keep ourselves distant. We separate ourselves. This is why Jesus comes to earth. To heal the broken relationships that we have with God. But also the broken relationships that are also affected with one another. Here's how Jesus says it in John 15. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. See, you and I, we were separate from God. But Jesus makes us friends with God. And how does he do that? He's the ultimate friend. He lays down his life for us. Now this friendship comes with expectations. You have to follow God's commandments. And you also have, it also comes with an implication, right? That you are supposed to, since Jesus was such a good friend to you, be good friends with your neighbors and the people around you. You're supposed to be the kind of person that has the kind of love so that you would lay down your life for someone else. So that's the kind of friendship that Jesus wants us to have. Deep, loving, self-sacrificing friendships and relationships. Jesus died to bring us that with God, and he died to bring us that with other people. So let me ask you a question. How many deep, self-sacrificing Christian friendships do you have? You look at your life, how many of these kind of deep friendships do you have?
Let me ask it a few other ways. How many people can you be yourself around? I mean, really be yourself. Let your hair down. Say whatever you want to say because you know it's not going to affect that friendship. How many people do you have in your life that you don't have to really clean your house to have over? Now, I'm not talking general clean. Like, I have four kids, and so it's like a safety concern sometimes to make sure people can get through the house. But I'm saying, well, who are those people that it doesn't really matter if they go in that closet or in that room because you know your friendship's bigger than your appearance? I love how Dr. Will Miller talks about close connections. He talks about refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights. How many people do you have in your life who come over to your house and go in the fridge and get what they want? Okay, you have guests over, you get them a drink. You have friends over, they get their own drink. How many people do you have in your life that have refrigerator rights? Who can you laugh around? Who can you cry around? Who can you go to a sappy movie with and not be embarrassed when the tear falls down your cheek? Who's that person in your life? Who can you tell your secrets to? Columbia University recently did a study on the weight of secrets, and they found that most, the average person carries 13 deep secrets, and the average person carries five they've never told anyone. Five secrets they've never told anyone. Those are really weighing on your soul. Who do you tell your secrets to? Who can you get advice from and know that they're not just going to tell you what you want to hear? Right? How many of those friends do you have? If you have friends like that, friends with refrigerator rights, friends that can really tell you the truth, treasure them because I know a lot of people that live their whole lives and never have those friends. And for many of us, we have far too few of those friends. I think we have two problems. And they're the same problems as Adam and Eve, really. First of all, I think we're still hiding. We're still hiding. We're still hiding. We're still holding back ourselves. We're still not wanting to let, to, to, we're still ashamed of our weaknesses. Sometimes we're actually hiding. Sometimes we're hiding behind masks and, and roles that we create. It's easy to hide in an individualistic society like we live in, where the world is based on you. We don't like to need other people. We're not supposed to need other people. I confess I don't like needing people. I don't like needing support. I don't like not having it all together. That's simply not the American way. So we hide. We keep ourselves in. We hold ourselves back. We put up walls under the banner of privacy. And heaven forbid you mess around in my business. We're still hiding in the bushes. And I think we're still putting on clothing of leaves. Putting on false selves. Fake selves. Making everything look okay. We have shallow friendships. False friendships. We have Facebook friendships, right? Where I can like somebody's pictures on Facebook and they can like mine, but I don't actually have to let them know what's really going on in my life. In the media age we live in, I think this is worse with cell phones and Facebook and all this stuff, but it is not a new problem. In fact, I'm pretty sure that for a lot of generations before ours, church was the Facebook of the world, right? Church was the place where you put on your Sunday best and you marched in and you acted like everything was okay because that was your show. That was the leaves you could put on. And we, we never had real relationships. How many times in the church have we been surprised to find out that somebody we knew was struggling or had an affair or is getting in trouble because they always told us they were fine? In fact, we expect that. If you ask, how many times this morning did someone ask how you were doing? And you were expected to say good or okay, right? 
we don't want real answers to that question. Okay? You ever had somebody actually start to answer that and you're like, ooh, I did not mean to jump into this. <laughs> you, you're supposed to just say good or okay because we don't actually want to mess in the messiness of each other's lives. We keep distance so we can avoid that messiness. And we've learned to guard our hearts to protect ourselves from heartbreak. But there's a deep problem, two deep problems with avoiding these kind of deep friendships. One is that in the Bible it's clear that God is especially present in community. God is especially present in community. Matthew 18, Jesus says this, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God is everywhere, okay? And you can find God in nature. That's a biblical thing. You can find God in your own personal study. But understand that whenever Christians gather, God has a special promise to be there, okay? God has been everywhere in your life this week. Everywhere you've worked, every difficult conversation you've had, every hard thought that you've had and had to deal with, all those things God was there. But you understand God is especially present now because we're gathered in his name. When you don't have deep Christian relationships, you don't just miss out on the presence of friends. You miss out on the presence of God who wants to be present with you in those friends. You wonder why God won't speak to you, but you're not listening to the people God wants to speak through. It's also a problem to miss out on deep Christian friendships because relationships and community are God's plan A for growing us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so so here's Paul's understanding. We're a body, okay? And right now I'm the mouth. Right now you're kind of the ears, and later you're going to be legs and arms going out into the world. We all have, we're all parts, and we all have parts to play in this body. And how does God grow us? He grows us together as a body. See, we have this imagination that says, well, God grows us as individuals, like we're in Petri dishes, okay? Like God's growing a foot over here, and he's growing an arm over here, and growing an ear over here, okay? But God does not grow us in Petri dishes alone and then sort of sew us together when he needs us. His plan is to grow us together as a body, Okay? So if you're missing out on community and you're missing out on deep friendships, there's a certain amount of growing that you can't do alone. That God's intention is to grow you up in the body with other Christians. Okay? Not only that, but if you hold back, it holds the whole community back. You understand that? Okay? How can God grow the whole body up if the arm's like, no, nah, I'm not going. No, I'm not giving myself to this community fully. No, I'm not going to be a part of those relationships because I've been burned before. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. No, you hurt the whole community when as an arm you decide not to grow. The, the, the whole thing gets warped because you don't want to give yourself in friendship and in community. And there's so much growth you cannot do on your own. 
So I think I've built my case that it's not easy to build deep Christian friendships, but that we need to. We're created to. Jesus died to help us do that with God and with one another. And I think I've made the case that when we miss out on these deep friendships, our faith suffers, our growth suffers, and even those around us suffer. So briefly, let me, let me just take a few, make a few comments about how to create and cultivate deep friendships. Number one, deep friendships take time, and they need to be given time. The best friends you have in your life are the ones that you've known, that you've gone through stuff with, that you've gone on road trips with, that you've shared experience with. If you're going to build and cultivate relationships, you have to give them time. Now, now we've got a problem here. And the problem is that we're busy. We're busy and we're tired. And it's hard to give time to new friendships, okay, or to building groups of friends. But it's got, it, biblically, it's got to be a priority for us. And that may mean that sometimes we've got to say no to other things so we can say yes to cultivating deeper friendships. Okay? We, we've got to make the time. We've got to share the experiences. Hint number two for making a deep Christian friendship. The best way to make a deep Christian friendship is around the table. Sharing meals. Think about it this way. I, don't, I can't think of any celebration that we do as people that does not include food in some way, right? When we graduate, there's a reception afterwards. At a birthday party, there's cake, okay? At a wedding, there's a lot of food, right? It, we, we eat, okay? We share a table with each other. That's how we build relationships, okay? If you want to build relationships, you build it around food. You build it around the table. That's one of the best ways to grow. And it's why it's such a shame that families don't eat together anymore. It's why it's such a shame that we don't have people to our house to eat anymore. And let me just give a little bit of a strong word here. I don't think restaurants really count. Okay? It can be fun to go out to a restaurant sometimes. I understand that. And we don't always like to cook, right? But, but it's more than cook. We're not just avoiding cooking. We're in part avoiding intimacy when we go to a restaurant, right? We're in part holding back, letting somebody actually see my house, okay, see my dishes, walk around on my dirty floor, right? We're, we're, we, we go to restaurants in part to hold ourselves back from intimacy. And, and it's hurting us, and it's hurting our relationships. There's something about gathering around your table that is way different. How, how are you going to be emotionally open? Right? And really share with somebody when you're sitting at Applebee's. Okay? You can't cry at Applebee's. Everybody else at Applebee's looks at you like, what are you doing here? Right? Because they didn't come to Applebee's to cry. You're never going to have real, honest, deep relationship at Applebee's. Okay? Those things happen in more private settings. And your home table is where it's at. Invite people over. Okay? Give somebody refrigerator rights in your house. Let them get their own drink. You're not just a guest. You're a part of the family. Come on in. That is a deep way to build relationships. If you go back and, and read the Gospels again, what you're going to find is Jesus is always eating. Okay? He's always at parties. He's always eating. Or he's on his way to a party. Okay? Jesus' whole ministry built around food. A lot of his metaphors are built around food. And a lot of his teaching happens around the table. Okay? That's where deep friendship happens. Make room for that in your life. Eat in your home. Give somebody else refrigerator rights. 
Number three is probably the most intimidating. Deep Christian friendship deepens with prayer and confession. Here's how James 5 puts it. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I know that seems scary to pray and to confess. And whenever we hear confession as Protestants, we have a whole connotation for that. Um, This is probably actually a topic worthy of its own sermon. There's something special that happens in community when we pray together. In fact, James says healing comes in praying together. Um, Now, a lot of you will say, well, I can't pray in front of people. I don't know what to say. Well, there's two problems with that. Okay? One is there's a certain amount of praying you only learn in praying with other people. Okay? There's a certain amount of prayer that you can only learn when you're praying with other people, that you can't learn alone in your prayer. And so if you want to get better at prayer, you've got to pray together. Okay? The other part of it is that when, I don't think we're actually worried about saying the wrong thing. Maybe if I asked you to come up here and pray now, you might be worried about that. But, but I don't think it's actually that we're worried. I think it's the same reason that we eat at restaurants. What we're actually scared of is intimacy. What we're actually scared of is opening up our heart in front of somebody else and expressing what we need and really where we are. I think we're scared of that. But we need it. Confessing doesn't just mean confessing your sins. It means opening yourself up and saying what's really going on. Right? Share your secrets. Express your regrets. Acknowledge your flaws. What we do is we keep all that in and we let it bubble. And we let it sour, and it, and it really messes with us in the long run. There's healing that comes when you can open yourself up, be yourself, and confess those things to somebody else. And your relationships grow, and I think my friendships with these people grew, as we were ourselves, and we acknowledged some of our weaknesses and our struggles, and we shared that together. Friendships deepen when you're real and you let your guard down. When you stop pretending and you're actually willing to be yourself. And it is such a gift to get to know someone and to be known by someone without pretending, without, without fronting, without putting on a mask. And I'm convinced there's a lot of people that have never done that before because they've been wounded somewhere along the way. And they've learned to put up those walls. And so my prayer today is that you would move past that. That you would find those people that you can share your refrigerator with. That maybe, maybe a great place to start is when somebody asks you how, do you how you're doing, just remove okay or fine from the answer list. And actually answer. And sometimes you ask somebody how they're doing and they say fine. You say, no, really. How are you doing? Go a little bit deeper in your relationships and you're going to find great strength there. Let me close with these words from Hebrews 10, verse 23 and following. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us pray. Lord, help us to stop neglecting to meet together 
and instead to gather for encouragement and prayer. Give us deep Christian friendships that we may grow, that you may grow us and care for us in them. Help those who have been harmed by others and struggle to open up with their heart that they may find kind and tender friendships where they can be themselves again. Amen.